Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Tell me if anyone remembers this. Oh, thank God 2020 is over. 2021 is going to be a new year. Fresh start. Church, we are constantly looking for a substitute savior, constantly. Setting our hopes on something or someone who is to come that will save us from what has been. This new year will be different. This new job will be different. This new church will be different. This new wife will be different. This new location of where I live or all of the, if I could, if I could just have this stuff, if I could just have more money, if I could just have less stress, if I could just have less difficult people, if I could just have better health, then I would be happy. And I want to say to us from the beginning, it's that type of idolatry that leads us to despair. Fix your eyes on Christ, the sovereign God. It's so easy to forget. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. By the way, all of these scriptures are going to be listed for you in your bulletin in order so you can follow along. You can look them up later. You can make notes on there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you've been redeemed from this empty way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. That is the cause of our salvation. Not anything we have done, not family traditions that we have kept, not anything that we have given, such as silver and gold, but through God's work in Christ alone. That the sovereign God who created the universe, who upholds it right now with the word of his power, right now upholds you. That's our hope. I don't actually know what this coming year has. I I don't know what lies in store. Good times, bad times, joys, sorrows. But I'm reminded, and my father will appreciate this, of the words of Bill Gaither, that I know he holds the future, and so my life is worth the living now because he lives. That's that's the hope of Christians. Not, Not better days to come. Not more peace, not more uh, agreement with the government who recognizes our God-given rights. It's our God lives, and he holds the future, therefore we have hope. As we talk together about where we should go, uh, we normally set the month of January aside to sort of cast vision for what's coming in this year. How is it that Christians should anchor their souls and anchor their lives and anchor their families in God, in his word? What what is it we should be looking to in this coming year? And we kind of reduce that just to one week. And all all of the preacher tricks have just been put aside. All of the the 
witty pop culture references where, you know, it's some movie that's just come out or some television show that everybody's watching, uh, some song that resonates with everyone, and then we find uh, creative ways to tie the sermon to that. All that is just pushed to the side, and I want to say this, I'm only going to read from the scripture this morning a ridiculous amount. I want you to see from God's word the sovereignty of God. That's it. That, that's the whole sermon this morning. Our God is sovereign. Our God is ruling over heaven and earth and hell, over you and Satan right now. Therefore, we have hope. Though the mountains should tremble, we have hope. We're going to soak our souls in that truth today, the truth of the sovereignty of God. So look with me at Psalm 115. And what a beautiful passage as we look to the coming of a new year and rightly orienting ourselves uh, to see the truth of God in his word. Not to us, verse 1 says, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Who is the focus, church, of this passage right from the beginning? God himself. Not you, Not me, not our peace and prosperity, not the growth of our church. It's the glory of God and nothing else. Verse 2 says, why should the nations say, where is their God? If you live in America, it doesn't take the nations to say, where is your God? All around you, our nation is saying, in a scoffing, laughing voice, where's your God? Kids, when you grow up, if you go to college, you're going to meet the smartest people you've ever met in your life, and the beginning thing they're going to say to you is there is no God, and they're going to spend all of their time and effort and intellect to convince you that God doesn't exist while closing their eyes to the irreducible complexity of this universe, to the irreducible complexity of a single cell, which back in the day when when the single cell amoeba was sort of the go-to for atheists, uh, professor is saying, well, look at this simplicity. It came from this one uh, simple cell, and then all life just sort of evolved from there. But it started so simple, just the, the big bang, and, and then somehow we got this cell. Only since then, some time has gone by, and we have found that there's DNA in that cell. DNA that it, it, if you could quantify it, if you could stretch it out, could go to the moon and back to the earth. There's that much information written in one simple cell. A, a library of information that we said happens by chance. Listen, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Why should the nation say, where is our God? That's our memory verse. We're going to say that a bunch of times together. In fact, let's just say it together now. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Every time this comes up, we're going to say it together at least twice, all right? We're going to to help the kids learn it. Let's say it again. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This psalmist in Psalm 115 is going to contrast the true and living God with every rival small g God. Right, So the living God, capital G, the one and only true God, and small g God, which is every other imposter that masquerades as God. They're dead. They're lifeless. They're powerless. He's going to conclude this song. This isn't a saying. This isn't a writing. This is a song. The truths about God are singable. That's why we start and end every service by singing the greatness of our God. 
He's going to end with man's rightful response. If this is who God is, then this is our right and good response. This is the only response that makes sense if God is sovereign. So he's going to begin with the sovereignty of God, which says what? Come on. Our God is in the heavens. He does most of what he pleases. All. Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases as long as man cooperates with him and does exactly what we need to do. Are are you getting the message here? Now, God has chosen to work through human means, and yet our God, come on, say it, is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The beginning and ending of this conversation must be our God is sovereign. This gets reduced to ridiculous lengths, like uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, which if you're not familiar with those terms, uh, the God chooses in salvation or man chooses in salvation. The choosing of God or, as it horribly, horribly gets put, man's free will. I say horribly because no praying person believes in free will. You know how we know that? Because you just prayed. You didn't, you didn't go like John is behaving badly. Uh, not actually, but it, it, say you were. Walking away from the faith. And we all deeply love John, right? Yes, we all deeply love John. So we all deeply love John. If we, if we only believed in free will, here's what we do. We would go to John. We would reason with John. Now, by the way, we've just ruined our own hypothesis because his free will has just been trampled on by you telling him what's right and wrong. Little philosophy 101 here. We don't even do that. Like, we, we will talk to a person, but every praying person does what? We go to the sovereign God of the universe and we say, God, John's an idiot. I don't even know what he's thinking right now. Would you take his free will and would you turn it to match your will? Now, John has a will. In this equation here, John is choosing, and his choices have real consequences, right? You're like, I don't know. You messed with me on the the verse earlier. I don't want to respond. I don't want to be that guy. Our our choices have real consequences in this life. We actually can choose life and death. We can choose to follow God. We can choose to reject God. But on top of that, and by the way, as soon as you figure this out, uh, you're probably dead and in heaven, right? Because on the earth, our brains can't contain this. Somehow, over top of that, the sovereign God says, I am the one who's choosing what is going on. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And so what do we do in prayer? We go to the sovereign God of the universe and we we point to the will of the person we're praying for and we go, change it. We don't believe in free will. We believe in a will that is under the sovereignty of another's will. But we believe in man's responsibility to choose. All right, so if if you like have the free will t-shirt, like don't storm out, uh, just add a Y to the end, it'll look like a free willy (laughs) t-shirt. so bad. I realized as I was saying it, I'm like, this makes me sound so old. I shouldn't even do this. Deeper than that, that's why I say that this is a ridiculous reduction uh, to just drop it down to, to that level. Because I don't actually care what you say that you believe. I, I, I say what you say, believe, what you believe, because as soon as you pray, that you kind of prove the opposite is true. As long as you get this one right, and I want to use an R.C. Sproul quote to illustrate this, 
it's one of the fill in the blanks for you. If there is one maverick molecule, maverick just means it does whatever it wants. No one can control it, including God. It's free. If there's one maverick molecule in the universe, then God is not sovereign. At least over that molecule, he's not. Are, are you tracking with me? And if God is not sovereign, fill in the blank, he's not, say it with me, God. Can you hear how that suddenly got really, really dangerous to say? So I don't care what you believe about predestination or man's choice. You dare not trample on the sovereignty of God because you're actually trampling on the divinity of God. Uh, there's a whole bunch of resources. I, I'm going to use a ton of them this morning. I listed it in your bulletin for you, uh, found on our website, the EWC website, so EdenWorshipCenter.co. Uh, go to the tab that's about us and then down what we believe. All the way at the bottom of the page on what we believe, in fact, I have it on the screen for you, there's a little blue bar there, scriptural evidence for divine sovereignty. And it is 19 glorious pages of Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that you can stand on. That you can believe our God rules all things. Just a few of them. Isaiah 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, who will turn it back? The answer is no one. Lamentations 2, verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. That which God purposes, God accomplishes. Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. That's really important, and I'm not going to take time to develop that this morning uh, because time is limited. Uh, in our midweek podcast, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this uh, in heaven and on earth, what it means for God to be sovereign on the earth, uh, what are some of the her heretical views that are out there, and uh, how do we see through that to rightly trust in God. Uh, the last fill in the blank. I, I had somebody tell me fill in the blanks give them anxiety and make them miss the sermon because they're worried about what they're uh, they're going to miss writing down. So I'm going to give you two up front, and then that's it. You're done, all right? You can pay attention after this. Here, here's what it means to say that God is sovereign. Just in case uh, that just sounds like church language, it doesn't make any sense to you. God does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants, and never has to ask anyone's permission. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and never has to ask anyone else's permission. So here the psalmist is going to point to God's sovereignty. You got that definition? God doing what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Never has to ask anybody else. God's going to point to that and his control over the nations, even over rebel nations, those who reject him. And say that is the foundation for our trust in his love and faithfulness. That, that's verses 1 through 3. Our, our hope and our trust in God makes nations and individuals who rail against him, who reject him, look foolish. So the Bible says. The, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over LaGrange County. Because we're mostly Christian. Everybody grew up in a Mennonite church. It's not what it says. Over Indiana, because thank God we're not Chicago. Or God help us, New York. Or California. May it never be so, right? 
No, God rules the nations. God rules California. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6. O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Why can we pray with boldness for those who we love but have walked away from God? None can withstand him. This is what theologians have called irresistible grace. Grace that you just can't get away from. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is a great reminder when you get all freaked out about politicians. One bad politician is going to rule us all and ruin it all. No, God rules it all. And then he hands it to these tiny, puny, weak little guys who are nothing in his hand. What are we doing every time that we pray? We say, God, you have the power to change this. Not just people's hearts, nations' hearts, kings' hearts. From the lowliest sinner, like you and me, to the loftiest king, our God rules. One of my favorite verses, and I use it out of context all the time. I'll just tell you right now, all the time. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. It's one of my favorite verses to use out of context, and you're like, I think I should leave right now. <laughs> Don't leave, I'll tell you why. Uh, I tell him I'm using it out of context every single time. Uh, but if God can sovereignly direct the heart of evil nations, kings that are plotting against everything that God stands for, rejecting him, and his heart is like water in the hand of God that he just turns wherever he wants to. Well, if God can do that, well, then somebody who's going in for a heart procedure of some kind, I think we can stand with relative confidence that he holds their physical heart in his hand as well. That's not what this verse is pointing at, but looking through that to the sovereignty of God. He contrasts that, right? That's, that's the sovereign God who rules the universe and nations contrasted with dead, lifeless, powerless idols. Psalm 115, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths. I, I, can you hear the mocking tone in this? Oh, you got a mouth, but you can't speak. You have eyes, but you don't see. They have ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell, hands but don't feel, feet but don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. And then it's like the, the twist of the knife here. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. They are dead. They are lifeless. They are powerless. You're putting your hope in that. Guess what? Soon you're going to be dead and lifeless and powerless along with everybody else who trusted in that. And our God will still sit upon the throne. Kids, I, I want to ask you a question real quick here. Get you involved in this. Have anybody ever been lost before? You ever had that experience? I, I had it one time when I was a kid and I got lost like a I don't know where, like Kmart. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Kmart is, that's Walmart's grandpa. 
I was the blue light special. But anybody, have you ever been lost? How about adults? Anybody ever been lost before? Kids, have you ever been left behind? How many of you have left a child behind at church? And the hands sneak up. Okay, I left Aiden at church one time. But we looked twice? Dang it. Here's what, what's scary about it. What's scary is I feel like I'm all alone. And no one's coming to help. What, if I can't find it, if I can't figure it out, no one is able to find me. That's the idea with these idols that he's talking about. These, these dead, lifeless idols. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. They have a mouth, but they can't say anything to help you. But kid, kids who are in here, let, let me ask you a question. What's an idol? Because right? we use that word idol, and you may be like, I don't know, what's, what's an idol? Somebody shout it out. What, what do you think an idol is? Something that makes you disobey, like if you follow that, you're disobeying what God said to do. That's good, Aubrey. Anybody else? What, what's an idol? Captain America. Captain America. John. I actually think that one's much truer than we think it is. Uh, how about another one? Something that you put before God. Yes. So, what did he say? I thought he said Santa. Like, death of Christmas? What on earth? Captain America. John's kids are going to have an intervention with him when he gets home. So we see in Scripture these idols as, as nations would uh, believe in some other god, some other deity, and then to represent that, they would build something, some statue uh, that would represent that's not the God, but it represents the God. These, these idols of, of stone or of wood that they would carve out. In America, we don't see a whole lot of those. We, we don't see uh, giant uh, stone. I remember one time we were driving in Indonesia, and we drove into uh, a town. And as we, as we drove into, it was, you know, just a little town. Uh, as we drove into the town, on either side of the road were these two giant monkey gods that had been carved out. Dad, do you remember this? Uh, and I don't remember what town it was, but they, these were the gods of that town that guarded that town. These were the gods that they looked to. And as you went in, you had to drive in between these two gods. You don't see that in LaGrange County a whole bunch. Elkhart, yes, but LaGrange, not so much. So we can have a temptation to go, well, we don't have idols today. But I, I love the answer that we had. It's something else that we look to apart from God. Something else that we trust in, something else that we worship, that we put our hope in apart from God. There's a great story in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the story of the prophet Elijah going against 450 priests of one of those gods. His name was Baal. A lot of times we say Baal, but it's actually two A's side by side, so it's Baal. Not that you care, that was a nerdy thing to say. Anyway, so... Elijah and these prophets are up on top of a mountain, right? So here's the, here's the scenario. They have two bulls for the sacrifice. They have uh, two piles of wood and one mountain and no fire. We're going to have a competition between gods, right? Kids, you like competitions? Any of you competitive? 
Like you go to your brother and you're like, and push him down to get past him. That, that's sort of this. Which God will win the day? Is it the true God or is it this false God, Baal? And so they're up on top of the mountain. They're going to offer the sacrifice. They have these two bulls that are there. They have this pile of wood. Here's the problem. They've had a drought for a long time because the true God had withheld rain. It hasn't rained in a long time. Now, come on, kids. Help me think here. If it doesn't rain, will anything grow? No. Like if it doesn't rain, what color does your grass turn in your yard? Yellow, Yellow brown. It looks like it's dying, right? Now, come on, keep thinking. If, if food doesn't grow, and if, do, do animals drink water? And so if they don't have water to drink and our food's not growing, are we going to have anything to eat? No. So along with this drought comes a famine. Famine just means everybody's starving. They, we don't have water to drink, and therefore we can't grow our food. We can't keep our animals alive. People are dying, and it's been years. It's been a long time. So Elijah stands with these prophets on top of this mountain and says, let's have a competition. We got two sacrifices and no fire. The God who is the real God can make fire come down out of the sky and light this sacrifice on fire. You guys go first. So these 450 prophets uh, start praying and chanting and dancing and singing and, and sort of going nuts on top of this mountain and it's not working. So they start cutting themselves. Maybe if we are shedding our own blood, right, that, that's false salvation. True salvation is Christ shed his blood. If I do my work, if I shed my blood, then God will hear. Only he doesn't. And now half the day's gone. They're hot. They're sweaty. They're tired. And Elijah starts making fun of them. <laughs> this is not licensed to make fun of other people. Just know that it's glorious. Okay, so 1 Kings 18, verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Oh, maybe you should cry louder. Remember that whole thing? They're, they have ears, but they don't hear. Maybe he's, maybe he's deaf. He goes, cry louder. He's a god, right? Like, it, this actually is a god that you're worshiping, right? <laughs> maybe he's deep in thought. Or my personal favorite, maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's going to the bathroom and by the way, the implication in the Hebrew is number two. Perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. It, there's this taunting tone like, if this is really a God, maybe he should wake up. And they continue on. And at the end of the day, Elijah says, enough. He goes and rebuilds the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He places the wood on it. Now they're in the middle of a drought, which means it hasn't rained for a long time. And then he does something stupid. He himself digs a trench around it. And then he says, oh, by the way, water, which is super precious and we're barely living, not having it, I want you to waste it and just pour it on top of this altar. The bull's on there, the wood's on there. Pour the water on top. Guys, is it a good idea if you want to start a fire to pour water on it first? No. And, and then he gets dumber, and he goes, do it again. And they pour, is two times going to make it catch on fire? No. Three times, three times he pours water on it till the bull is covered, and the wood is covered, and the stone is covered, and in fact, it, it's down in this little moat that's around it. And then he prays in verse 37, 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me. No, no dancing, no shouting, no cutting himself, no putting on a big show. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people, here's the point, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you, now catch this, have turned their hearts back. Who is it who is steering the heart of the king? It's God. Who is it who is stirring the heart and turning it of a whole nation? It is our God. And God answered with fire. Fire that consumed the sacrifice and the wood. Now, wood burns, right? Kids, do stones burn? The stones were gone at the end of it. The water was gone at the end of it. Good news at the end is God sent rain for his people, but the point of this story is God is the only God who has the power to save. Why? Come on. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. One more time. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. When we face an uncertain future, Trusting in God alone to save, the only thing that makes sense is trusting in his sovereignty. Trusting in his power. Because none of those other things that we trust in can save you. Your house can't save you. Your job can't save you. Your kids can't save you. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said this, Trust in Christ or hope in Christ is the distinguishing token of God's people. In our most honest hours, we are driven to faith for our comfort. If in our prosperity, our eyes wander to other confidences, when things go good, we tend to just look away. In our distress, they come back to Christ and his cross. When the head is aching and the heart is throbbing and the death sweat lies on the brow, none of us dare look to works or feelings or even sacraments. But we cry, hold thou thy cross before my failing eyes. And so the psalmist back in Psalm 115, verse 9 says, O Israel, that's all of God's people, trust in the Lord. He, and then you, you have this liturgical refrain, he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, those are those who lead God's people. Trust in the Lord and the refrain, He is their help and their shield. And to everyone, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield. If there is only one way, only one true and living God, one salvation, it only makes sense that God is sovereign over all things. Otherwise, that can't be true then he may be the God who saves his people, but he can't be the God who saves anybody else or even changes their heart or mind. I just want to again point you to this resource that's on our website. Again, pages and pages that I actually thought about reading this morning, but I stopped myself. You're welcome. I contemplated just briefly going through each section, having someone come up and read the section titles, God Preserves and Sustains All Things. Uh, and then read all the scriptures. And another person come up. Uh, God is sovereign over the nations. And read all the scriptures. And another person come up. Instead of doing that, I'm just going to give you some highlights, all right? And we're going to be done almost on time. God is sovereign over life and death. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. Put your seatbelt on for this one. 
I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes, O God, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as of yet there was none of them. God is sovereign over sickness and health. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who is it who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Uh, you should just circle that one in your bulletin and then wrestle with that thought this week. That, that's, that's a much more difficult thought than just reading through it. Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us. By the way, if the first one isn't true, if God isn't the God who tears that he might heal, there's no reason for us to return to him in Hosea. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and yet he will bind us up. God is sovereign over property and poverty. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might, my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. We're going to touch on that one a bit more in the midweek podcast. God is sovereign over peace and war. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. It's from the New Living Translation. Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both came from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. God is sovereign over all creation. We see God, as you look throughout the scriptures, doing ridiculous things with creation and uh, that was that which is inanimate and that which uh, is alive we see him parting waters stopping the sun sending rain withholding it speaking through a donkey feeding his servant with ravens shutting the mouth of lions sending a great fish to save and transport jonah which is just the most awesome and smelly taxi service ever How could God command a great fish to swallow him because he is sovereign? God is sovereign over sin and evil. Psalm 81, verse 12. So I gave them over. Now this is what they wanted, but how did they get there? God says, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. God is sovereign over salvation. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Man, some of you ought to print that out and put it on your mirror where you brush your teeth every morning. Take hope, especially those of you who are praying for a loved one and you've been at it for years and you're right just about to give up. All that the Father has will come. And those who come, I will never cast out. Romans 9, 15 through 18, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, if it's God who says, I'm going to either have mercy and compassion or not, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, now here's the only reason this doesn't scare the pants off us, is because we say, well, I'm not Pharaoh. 
this should sober us up. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. How did God do that with Pharaoh? Come on, come on class. He hardened his heart and then he crushed him. We're told repeatedly that it was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. Man, we need to constantly be falling on the mercy of God. God, soften my heart. God, show me my sin. Why has he done this? Verse 18, so that he, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Let's look at the end of Psalm 115. Time's ticking away here. Verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. Not everybody can say this. Not everybody can stand on this and claim this as their own. It's those to whom God has shown mercy. It's those to whom God has shown compassion. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase. What a blessing that this is. May the Lord give you increase, you, your children, the generations to come. And I loved what was said earlier. There's going to come a day where all of us are dead and gone, and the generations to come had better not be built on our charisma, but on the unchanging Word of God. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. I, I love how he qualifies this. May, who is the one who is blessing you? May you be blessed by the Lord. Oh, by the way, that's the one who made heaven and earth. And it's as if he just pulls back and says, in case you forgot, the heavens are the Lord's heavens. <laughs> Look up. God almost taunts us in Scripture. Look up to the stars and count them if you can. By implication, you can't. Even with some of the most powerful telescopes that have ever existed in the history of man, we can't count them. They just talk in ridiculously large numbers. To the Lord's heavens. He rules them. But the earth he has given to the children of men. Uh, just sort of put a little mental note by that and please, please listen to the midweek podcast. We're going to develop that a little bit further because there's some really unfortunate and heretical things have grown out of taking that verse out of context verse 17 the dead don't praise the lord nor do any who have gone down into silence but we we will bless the lord from this time forth and forevermore hallelujah that's what that phrase praise the lord it, the translation of that is hallelujah Every time we sing hallelujah, that's, that's what we're saying, that's what we're declaring. No matter what this coming year has. No matter whether we live in blessing or correction, joy or sorrow, we live, catch this, we live in the blessing of the Lord. For those who are in Christ, hear that one more time. If you are a Christian, if your hope and your trust is in Christ, whether this year is good or or bad, it all comes as the blessing of the Lord. In the good, as he shows his kindness and his favor towards us, in the bad, as he 
uses those dark and desperate moments to cause us to see him and trust him and call on him like we never would have if things would have just stayed good. It is all the blessing of the Lord. This is not a promise of ease or comfort or luxury. I wrote this down early in the week. Some of us will face very difficult and painful times in this coming year. I wrote that down before I got a call from Vicki that they were going to face it on New Year's Eve. As we just continue to pray for Clayton and Vicki, for God's power and strength, and yet we don't know what the future holds. But come on, we know who holds the future. Some of you will experience joy and increase. Some of you will walk through sorrow and loss. Number one, God has called you to walk that out. Joy and sorrow in community one with another. Where we laugh with those who are laughing. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who are weeping. We may not be able to do a thing to fix it. But we stand right beside you and go, we're here. In all of it, we trust in the Lord our God. Oh God. Our help in ages past. Our only hope for years to come. And here's why. Stand with me. Let's say it together. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. One more time. Our God is in the heavens. He does all God, in this coming year, would you turn our eyes to look to you? Would you turn our will to trust in you? How quickly, oh God, we forget and look to other saviors. Would you fix our eyes upon the cross? The finished work of Christ on our behalf. Would you fix our eyes upon the throne where our God sits as sovereign ruler over every molecule in this immense universe. You rule them all. Give us faith to trust and eyes to see. Lord, we don't know what's coming. It can actually be frightening thinking of how will uncertainty, how will sorrow and suffering touch us as individuals, us as families, as a church, as a nation. Before it comes, we square our feet upon the rock of Christ Jesus and we say our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God rules over all things. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Why should we be afraid? Let that truth sink from our heart, from our head to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you remain standing? Grab your bulletin. Want us to do something different in this month. If you are in the adult Sunday school class, this may come about as kind of ironic because this wasn't the intent in that discussion. But I want us to spend some time in this month reminding ourselves what it is we believe. As we come to the table of the Lord, worship team, if you guys want to come on up, as we come to the table, 
remembering Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, knowing that this is just for believers. This is just for those who believe these things that we're about to confess together. This ancient creed that says this is what it means to believe as a Christian. And I want us to just confess this together. There's like three pages of it on there. Uh, in such a way that we begin to internalize it. This is the God in whom we trust. Would you confess this with me? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. If that's you, if that's your confession, if that's your trust and hope for salvation, we would welcome you to the table of the Lord. Would you just stand for a minute, examine your hearts. If there is sin that needs to be confessed, now is the time, knowing that Christ has paid in full. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.